0: In today's text, Jesus tackles the issue of divorce, and it's a very practical topic. Of course, it was then, and it still is now. Some of you have experienced divorce firsthand, and almost everyone here knows someone close to them who has. Jesus never shies away from talking about the real stuff of life, and he isn't concerned to not make us feel uncomfortable either. Now, if divorce is part of your story, I know sermons on divorce can be difficult. And I'll try to respect that because I realize that that often the past can't be undone and reopening old wounds may not be helpful. Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus has to say here very strongly to those who are married and to those who hope to be married might not be exactly what his message would be after the fact to you who've already been through divorce. I also want to point out to everyone here that that what Jesus has to say about divorce, which is scattered across three different gospel accounts of Jesus's teaching, has as much to teach us about how we read our Bibles as it does about how we stay married. And I'm going to bring that up as and uh, bring that out as we go along. But first, let me remind us where we are in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is giving his amazing, majestic, hard-hitting Sermon on the Mount. And we've seen that, that he's called those of us who follow him to begin living in an upside-down way. And thereby to become a countercultural community who are salt and light to the world around us. Jesus has also clarified his relationship to the Bible that people had at that time, which is what we now call the Old Testament and what they called at that time the law and the prophets. And Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish it, but rather to fulfill it, to call us to a righteousness, a godly way of living that surpasses that even of the respected religious people of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And we saw last week that Jesus began taking us to the heart, on, on a deep dive into our hearts, beyond the external our external behaviors, deep into our motives and into our inner thoughts. And Jesus told us we've got to work on those. We've got to deal with those, with what's inside. Particularly, we saw over the last two Sundays that we've got to work this out in terms of our relationships, This new thing that Jesus is teaching us, which is really just a fulfillment of what God's word has always been saying, because how we get along with others in our relationships and and how we feel about others in our hearts matters immensely to God and it matters immensely to our ability to be salt and light, a counterculture in the world. And so it's just logical that Jesus would tackle what, for many people, is our most basic relationship of all, and likely our most challenging, our marriage. Because marriage is hard work, right? Amen. 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 (laughs) To to love someone you're so close to and so connected with is a challenge. You you see them at their worst. They know you better than anyone in some ways. They know what stuff is really in your heart. That that darkness and that selfishness which sometimes squeezes out. Ask Anne, she'll tell you about me. Hopefully she won't. (laughs) Not too much. She'll tell you the appropriate amount. Um, Because marriage is is so intimate, and, and we can hurt each other so easily and so badly. And so Jesus raises this issue of divorce. If we're going to live the the radical, upside-down way of the kingdom of God, if our hearts are going to be transformed, then those of us who are married are going to have to work on our marriages. Now, here's what we need to realize about what Jesus has to say about divorce, and that is that he talks about it four different places, in Matthew twice, in Mark, and in Luke. And each time, what Jesus says is a little different. And so if we're going to get the big picture of what Jesus thinks about divorce, we're going to have to look at all four of these passages. And that's the first thing this topic can teach us about reading our Bibles, and that is that we shouldn't just hear the first thing or the favorite thing that we hear that the Bible has to say on a topic and just run with it. No, we want to hear everything that it has to say. And sometimes there are some nuances, there are tensions even, between what Scripture says in one place and what it says in other places. And and that forces us to slow down and say, okay God, I I need to take some time to tease this out, to try to understand your heart on this matter, and that's what I want to do with you this morning. So let's walk through the four passages where Jesus talks about divorce, And I want to start with Mark 10, mainly because most scholars agree that Mark was the first gospel written, and that when Matthew and Luke later wrote their gospels, they likely had Mark's gospel as a starting point. And so, uh, why invent the wheel? Why reinvent the wheel, right? So Matthew and Luke seem to have started with Mark and then edited it and adapted it, adding what they knew to give a fuller picture of Jesus for the people that they were writing their Gospels to. So we'll start off with what Jesus says in Mark, and I'm going to read it. Some Pharisees came and they tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery with her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she (laughs) commits adultery. The first thing I want to point out here is this. Jesus is not the one who brings up the topic of divorce in this case. The Pharisees do. And they do it because they're trying to test Jesus, to trap him. You see, there was a big debate among the Jews at that time about what the lawful grounds for divorce were. The conservative Jews said that you you can't divorce your wife unless she cheats on you. The more liberal Jews said, no, you can divorce her for any fault or failing that you find in her. And so the Pharisees are trying to pull Jesus into this debate to get him to weigh in That way, he can make some enemies. Now, the Old Testament verse on divorce that everyone's arguing about is Deuteronomy 24.1, where Moses told the Israelites, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her out of the house, and then it goes on, then, if she marries again, and if she then loses her second husband, the first husband must not marry her again. So, it's it's the first part of of the divorce that, of that verse that everyone's talking about. Um, that's what this popular Old Testament law says, and and the background of it is that a man says to his wife, "It's over between me and you." And in that Jewish culture, which did not empower or, or protect women legally, this put that woman in a very desperate situation. She can't get a good job. She can't speak up for herself. She needs a man to protect and provide for her in that culture. So unless her father is living, and uh, men died very early, everyone did, especially men back at that time, But unless her father is living, or an uncle, or a brother who will take care of her and can afford to take care of her, she's got to find another husband quickly. But she can't because she's still legally married, even though her husband has kicked her out. If she moves in with another man, she'll be guilty of adultery. And so Moses is saying in Deuteronomy to the first husband, For the sake of the woman, give her a certificate of divorce. Make it public. Make it legal so that she's free to remarry. It's the least you could do for her. And so based on that, the the Jews of Jesus' day argued about when Moses permits a man to divorce his wife. And what does Jesus say? He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But if you go back to the creation... When a a man and a woman marry, they are one flesh. God joins them together. Let no one separate them. Now, let me point out three things in Jesus' short response here about how Jesus shows us how to read the Bible. First, just because God allows it in his law or doesn't make a command against it, doesn't necessarily mean it's what God wants. Sometimes God lets people do what he knows in their hard hearts they're going to do. And so God just makes a law to minimize the damage. This is called accommodation. Accommodating. Yes, Moses let you divorce your wives. He also let you have slaves. He let you have multiple wives. But these were accommodations because God knew you were going to do it anyway. Don't just read the law to see what God wants. Sometimes it's not what God wants, it's what God accommodates because of your hard hearts. So second lesson about reading the Bible. A better place to go to see what God really wants is back to creation. How did God set things up before sin entered the world? That will point you in a better direction. What do you see in the garden? One man... One woman joined together by God until death do you part? Well, that's what God wants. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the point he's making to the Pharisees. The third point that Jesus makes about reading Scripture is this Pay attention not just to the rule, but to the intention God had in making it. The point of Moses' law in Deuteronomy wasn't to give husbands a loophole to get rid of their wives. The point was to protect their wives from hard-hearted husbands. Right? That's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here. Okay, before we move on, notice one other detail about this Mark passage. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Notice Mark records Jesus telling it both ways. If a husband divorces his wife, and if a wife divorces her husband. None of the other Gospels mention a wife divorcing her husband. Why not? Because Mark is probably writing his Gospel to Rome, and Rome was the only place back then, almost, where a wife could divorce her husband. Jewish wives couldn't, legally. Most Greek wives couldn't either. But Roman wives, if they were of high status, could divorce their husbands. So question, did Jesus say wives shouldn't divorce their husbands even though it didn't apply to his Jewish audience? And Mark is the only one to include it because it only applied to his audience? Or, get this, Did the Holy Spirit inspire Mark to add this part about wives to make the right application of what Jesus meant for the people he was writing to in Rome? Now, I don't know if that possibility bothers some of you, but but here's the reality of the New Testament. In the original Greek the Gospels were written in, there were no quotation marks, and there were no red-letter additions with the words (laughs) of Christ in red. And so we don't always know where Jesus' words leave off and where the Gospel writers, the narrator's words, begin. Also, the Gospel writers are paraphrasing Jesus, not quoting him directly. Why do I say that? Well, for one thing, there's several reasons, but for one thing, Jesus probably spoke very often in Aramaic, but the Gospel writers are writing in Greek. And so the Gospel writers have to find words and phrases in Greek to express what Jesus said and what Jesus meant, so their Greek-speaking readers living in in Rome or Antioch or wherever can understand what this Jew speaking Aramaic in Palestine meant and how it applies to them. And so the Holy Spirit inspires Mark to tell his readers what Jesus has to say about divorce. And the Holy Spirit inspires Mark to remember, or to add, depending on how you, what you, you think about this, that wives cannot divorce their husbands either. That's not in any of the other places that Jesus talks about divorce, but it tells us that what Jesus has to say about men on the issue of divorce applies to women too, when they have relatively equal voice and rights under the law. Okay, with that thorny question hanging there, let's move on to Matthew 19. It's the same story that Mark tells, but with some differences. Again, Matthew is paraphrasing it, as Mark was translating it um, for their Greek-speaking audiences. And I just want to point out the main difference that I want us to see, and that is in verse 9 of Matthew 19, where Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Notice the exception clause. Except for sexual immorality. Mark didn't have it. Luke doesn't have it. Only Matthew has it. And Matthew has it in both places that Jesus talks about divorce. So again, we have to ask, did the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew to remember that Jesus said it and then Matthew includes it, or did the Spirit inspire Matthew to add it as he tells Mark's story? To say, I know Jesus is really strong on this matter of divorce, but realize there are exceptions. If a woman has been unfaithful to her husband, for instance, God would not blame that husband for divorcing her." So so here's what I conclude as I compare Matthew and and Mark. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus cares about victims. Has your spouse cheated on you? God cares about you. God knows your devastating pain. And and, and as a result, God's not going to require you to stay with that person if you can't find it in your heart to do so. You know, just to reinforce this point very quickly, let's go over to 1 Corinthians, where Paul recounts to the Corinthians Jesus' teaching on divorce. It's in chapter 7. Paul adds another exception clause, again, to protect a victim. He says in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 7, If you're a believer and your spouse is not, and they reject you and they leave the marriage, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Have you been abandoned, Paul seems to be saying, by an unbelieving spouse, presumably because of your faith? You're not bound, presumably to that marriage. Yes, God is strict on divorce, but he's also compassionate to victims. He cares for those who have been hurt, abandoned, rejected. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip over what Luke has to say in Luke 16, 18, because while it's not exactly the same as any of the other passages, it doesn't add anything we can't already find in the other passages. And so let's return, lastly, to our text, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Here we have, listen to verse 32. But I tell you, Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality And then, depending on the translation you have, it says he causes her to commit adultery, or he makes her commit adultery, or as the New NIV has it, he makes her the victim of adultery. What's going on here? If someone divorces his wife in that culture, he's probably going to, or she's probably going to have to remarry to survive. And Jesus says the first man who divorces her makes her or causes her to commit adultery with her new husband. In other words, the fault isn't with her. The fault is with him. The first husband is the one to blame. Now let me tell you why I say that. Two reasons. First, in Greek, commit adultery here is not not active, it's passive. The adultery is happening to the woman, not by her. Or at least she's not the active agent in it. She's the passive agent. And second, when someone is powerless, for example, in in the Old Testament, a slave who their master makes to work on the Sabbath, the day of rest, who does God go after and hold responsible? Not the slave, but the master. The master, the one with the power. And what does God say later in, in Matthew 18, 6? He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who trusts in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Who? The little ones? No. The, the one who makes them stumble. Again, who, who is Jesus going after primarily? He's going after the one with the power who makes the weaker ones stumble. So in Matthew here, as best I can tell... If a husband divorces his wife and she's powerless and she has to remarry to survive, it's the husband's fault that she commits adultery. Jesus holds him responsible. Again, Jesus realizes, in his culture at least, that the woman is the victim in a man's world, where the men can sit around and have theological debates about under what circumstances they're free to divorce their wives. Okay, let's finally notice the last thing Jesus says here in Matthew. I realize I'm blowing through this really fast. <laughs> Sorry about that. Luke also in- includes this thing that I want you to see in Matthew um, in his account of Jesus' teaching on divorce. And that is that the man who marries the divorced woman also commits adultery. Um Now let's step back and remember that Jesus is responding to a popular debate going on at that time about when Moses allowed women to divorce their wives. Remember the point of Moses' allowance was to protect women from being accused of adultery after their first husband kicked them out but didn't give them, didn't make it official. And so the certificate of divorce that Moses permitted would protect the woman so she wasn't guilty of adultery for remarrying. But but here's what Jesus says. Certificate or no certificate, if a husband divorces his wife, he's made her commit adultery. And the man who marries her commits adultery too. Strong words, right? Right? Jesus' Jesus point is this, when, when a man and a woman are married, God joins them together, and they are to be partners until death do them part. And divorce or no divorce, remarriage or no remarriage, if one of them finds a new partner, that new couple is living in adultery. What God expects, what Jesus expects, is that you be faithful to your original partner no matter what. Are there exceptions? Yes. Jesus is passionate about fidelity and faithfulness for better or for worse, but he's also passionate to those who are victims. If you've been victimized, then then you're free, free to remarry. Only in the case where a spouse cheated on you, as Matthew says, or an unbelieving spouse rejected you, as Paul says. Or what about equally painful and devastating situations like abuse? What's Jesus' heart there? Do, do we stick only with the exceptions that Matthew and Paul give us, or or do we follow the principle that they teach us of compassion and protection for those who are victims? Well, people who follow Jesus differ on how to answer that question? And I'll leave it for you to wrestle with, because we're almost out of time. <laughs> but let me quickly summarize what, what we've learned on this whirlwind trip through the, the New Testament, which has stretched us in how we read the Bible, and in how we think about marriage. As we study the Bible, first of all, there's four things that we've seen. First, that we've got to look at everything the Bible says on a topic. We can't just take part of it and run with it. Second, we've learned to distinguish what God allows from what God wants. Sometimes God allows things which aren't really what God wants. Third, the best place to find God's ideal is in the creation before sin entered the world. And I'd also add in the new creation, when God has fully redeemed and restored the world. And then fourth, as we look at God's commands, we we have to ask, what's God's intention here? Who or what is God trying to protect? Remember, Jesus came to take us on a, a deep dive beyond the rules, into our hearts and our relationships, And we don't want to construct a new list of rules here, but we want to hear the rules and to discern God's heart for our hearts and for our relationships. Okay, then what did we learn about marriage and divorce from Jesus? Two passions that God has. First, God is absolutely passionate that we be faithful in our relationships, no matter how hard No matter how painful, God wants us to do all that we can to love, to be faithful, to sacrifice, even for our relationships, and especially for our relationships with our spouse, our closest, most committed relationship. Why? Well, because God wants our heart to become more like his heart. And how many times has God been faithful to us? How many times has God put up with us, and forgiven us, and borne with us? That's God's heart, and Jesus is teaching us to treat others with God's heart. But there's more to God's heart. Second, we saw that God also has a compassionate heart for those who are victimized. Have you been betrayed, abandoned, abused? God's heart hurts for you and with you. He feels compassion for you, and he wants the best for you. Let me close with a story. You may know the story of Faust, who gambled his soul with the devil and lost. In the 19th century, a painter named Moritz Rech um, painted this striking painting of Faust playing chess with the devil. In the painting, the game's almost over, and Faust has only a few Pieces left, and on his face is a look of blank despair. While on the other side of the table, the the devil character is smugly triumphant. Many chess players studied the painting and agreed that it was checkmate for Faust. But one day in the late 1800s, a chess master named Paul Morley was studying this painting with interest and was just taken by the gravity of what it represented. And then suddenly he started and he exclaimed to those with him in the room, It's not hopeless! Faust has another move! (laughs) And he was right. And and many a preacher has used that story to illustrate Jesus' resurrection. That though death and evil seemed to swallow up all hope, as Jesus hung on the cross, there was one more move that God had up his sleeve. And that move turned the tables and changed the whole game. Out of death, God brought life and victory. And I want to apply this to marriage and to whatever other close relationship you have and maybe you struggle with. Especially for those who've experienced the difficulty of marriage and the pain of marriage. Sometimes it seems like it's checkmate. Like the pain and the rawness. And the the loneliness and the disappointment and the hurt and the conflict. It feels like it's all that there is. And that to go on and to choose to forgive or or to keep on hoping or to keep loving even when your spouse shows no signs of loving you back. It feels like death. It feels like the cross. It feels like checkmate. And yet Jesus told us again and again that if we Lose our lives, we'll find it. And he assures us that if we make the choice to to lose our lives in love, that God always has another move. That after the cross, through which, or rather, um, after the cross, there is always resurrection. Through which we can find new life. And I can't tell you how soon it will come. Or what it will look like when it comes. But Jesus' resurrection tells us that God always has one more move for our relationships. And may that give you hope. As we now come to this table where we're reminded that Jesus always practices what he preaches.